stuff today. I learned stuff today. And really all we did is walk through Scripture. But we need to know what the Word says about what's going on. Amen? Praise God. Why don't you grab your Bible and go to the book of Ezekiel, please? I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to make a card. It's probably a good thing I didn't go to Bible school and learn all the proper things about how to teach or preach or whatever they call that class where they teach you that stuff. And uh, nothing against those that did go to Bible school. I know some of them did, but they didn't try to lay hold on form and function. They tried to glean and throw away the bone, uh, which is wise. But um, I'm going to break probably all the rules if I had went to Bible school about how to teach or preach or whatever. I probably do that a lot anyway. Because I'm going to tell you that I don't know what I'm talking about this morning. I don't mean that I don't know what direction I'm going. I just mean what I'm going to start talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm sure that makes you feel really good. You're like, okay, I bet you that's a first for you, isn't it? When you've been in church and the preacher said, hey, I don't know what I'm talking about. I only know how God is dealing with me. And so I am, I'm going to seek to be very careful, but it is so burning and turning in my spirit um, that I feel like I just have to give room and we'll see what the Holy Ghost does. And uh, I'll be very careful. Um, I want to, I believe the Lord wants us to see something here. Okay, so let's learn together. Can we do that this morning? Is that all right? Amen. Ezekiel chapter 47. This is familiar to many of us. It's often referenced. It can be very fun and exciting to reference. It can be used in a lot of ways to motivate, hype up, whatever you want to use. And that's not the purpose here today. I want us to see the scripture Ezekiel 47, we're just going to start at the first verse. And it says here, verse 1, afterward, now you got to read, you got to start reading all the way back at uh, chapter 43, uh, 42, 41. Um, yeah, you really got to start at least at chapter 41. Uh, 40 if you want the whole thing, but you got to start at least at chapter 41 if you want to understand afterward, okay, because he's describing a whole bunch of stuff there. Aren't you thankful we're not reading all those chapters this morning? So we're just going to pick up here. We're going to pick up at afterward, after all that stuff, because all that was foundation for what he's, we're seeing now. He said, afterward, he, this is the Lord taking Ezekiel on this journey, this vision, Afterward, he brought me again. So he's been here before. He brought me again unto the door of the house. Behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. You got this picture. This is what the prophet Ezekiel is seeing in his vision. Of course, the threshold is when the door is open, that's what you step over. You step over the threshold. And so... The prophet Ezekiel says he's brought again to the door of the house, and what he witnesses when he's there this time is he sees water issuing out. This is what would usually scare you if you're a homeowner. Okay? That's not the case here. But the prophet Ezekiel sees water issuing out from under the threshold of the house. That means it's coming out of the house. Under the, apparently, there's something flowing out of the house that's broken its bounds. 
and it's now coming out from under the threshold of the house, and it's heading eastward. And the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Verse 2. Then he brought me out of the way of the gate. So he's seeing this. He brought me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looks eastward. Remember, that's the way the water's flowing eastward. So now he's looking eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. Verse 3. And when the man that had the line in his hand, you got to read those other six chapters. When the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured out a thousand cubits and he brought me through the waters and they were to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and he brought me through the waters and they were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand, brought me through and the waters were to the loins. And afterward, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass over. For the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. Now, people have read these six verses and talked about going into the deep things of God. Um, okay. Um, that's sort of taking it out of context a little bit. Because whether the water was to the ankles or whether it was deep enough to swim in, it was just as powerful when it was coming over the threshold as it was if you were out there swimming in it. Okay? Um, now, I'm all for swimming in it. <laughs> okay? But, uh, again, I think it's a little taking it out of context if we're like whether people swimming or in deep things. But the water, the issue is what the water's doing. Okay? And the depth speaks of it growing and how much there is. Okay? The fact that the further he goes from the source, the more it's continuing to fill the earth. Okay? So think of this. Uh, this is a terrible example. Okay? But I, I, I need us to picture this. If we were to, heaven forbid... Well, we had it happen here. I'll use this as an example. Some of you were here. You remember this. One time here a few years ago, um, right before COVID, as a matter of fact, 2019, uh, one of our toilets didn't shut off. A little uh, whatever that is. The, the flow valve that, you know, when you flush the toilet and it's supposed to fill up and then shut off. Well, it didn't. And, uh, and so it kept flowing. And it kept flowing, and it kept flowing, and unfortunately, it filled the toilet bowl, and it kept flowing, and we were gone, service was over, and it filled the ladies' room, and it kept flowing, and it kept flowing. Thankfully, it didn't get deep enough to swim in, but it kept flowing, and it, it filled the hallway out there, and all the... Now, thank the Lord that there was a hole in the floor in the ladies' restroom underneath the garbage can. The garbage can was strategically placed so people didn't see that little hole. It was there. It was probably about not bigger than that, I think. Strategic, thank the Lord for that hole. Glad we didn't fix it. Then, it's fixed now. So, Well, that water flowed, and it, it, it filled up the foyer. It wasn't deep enough. This carpet out there soaked it up, and it came under the wall back there and probably came about a foot in through the wall. But because of that hole, 
in the ladies' room, it started filling the ceiling of the kitchen, which is down below our restrooms, while it was soaking this way. All right? Just kept flowing. Well, thankfully, that sheetrock ceiling in the kitchen got so wet that it collapsed. And it collapsed down on top of the counters and sheetrock and a little bit of insulation that was in there was all down in the floor in the kitchen. And the water just kept flowing. Now, the beauty of that is that it all fell downstairs once that ceiling gave way because it had somewhere to go. That little hole gave it somewhere to go. Otherwise, all of this out here would have got wet until it made it to the stairs. So I was thankful for that small hole in that collapsed kitchen ceiling because the floor down there is tile and concrete, not carpet and wood. All right? Now, why do I share that example? Because the source was the toilet. That's why I said this is a terrible analogy. Okay. But the source was the valve. Let's say it that way. The source was the water pipe that went into the toilet. But you wouldn't say, oh, man, the spiritual people were in the kitchen. Right? The source is where the spiritual power was. You with me? The source. The source. The source. But So you got to know the source. I thank God for deep things to swim in, but it's the source that matters. It's the source that matters. And so what's happened is that, that down there, that filled up with water. A lot of it filled up with water. That kitchen had water standing in it and stuff like that. And so, so the deeper part was further from the source. Okay? Because as long as water has somewhere to go, it will keep spreading out. But once it hits a boundary, it will begin to build up. Right? It takes the path of least resistance. So that's what we're seeing here in these six verses that we've read. It's flowing out of the temple. And the reason at first it's not so deep is because as you get so far away, it's got a lot of room to spread out. But as it flows downward from the temple, it's starting to find valleys to flow into. And it's being rest- so the depth is growing. Okay? We good? Just wanted to explain why I told you I think it's taken out of context. I want you to go, what's he talking about? I want you to understand what's happening and why it's this way. Okay. Now watch. Verse 7, because we got to see what's going on with all this. Now when I had returned, so I guess he'd returned from going a 1,000 cubits out and a 1,000 cubits out and a 1,000 cubits out. When he'd returned, behold, at the bank of the river... There were many trees. See, that's the boundary, the bank. At the bank of the river, there were many trees on the one side and on the other. That speaks of life. Verse 8. Then said he unto me, the Lord, these waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert, the dry places, and they go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, watch, the waters shall be healed. Verse 9. And it shall come to pass that everything that lives which moves whithersoever the river shall come shall live. Now, isn't that an interesting statement? I want us to see that, and I know I'm moving sort of slow. It's because I don't know what I'm talking about, remember? Watch what it says. Everything that lives which moves 
Wherever the river comes, shall what? Now, isn't that a strange statement? He just said, everything that lives shall live. Is that what he said? Is he redundant? Or apparently, there's some life in the river that they did not have yet. They live and they move, but they don't have the life that's in the river. Because the river heals. Isn't that what it said back to verse 8? The waters shall be healed. Okay, go ahead, back, back to verse 9. Everything that lives and moves whithersoever the river shall come shall live, and there shall be what? A great multitude of fish. I'm sorry, I cannot read that without hearing Jesus say, I will make you fishers of men. There shall be a great multitude of fish because these waters shall come hither or thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. Next verse. And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from Ingadai even unto that one. They shall be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceeding many. But the miry places thereof and the marshes shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt. Now, if you study this and you look, it's going to flow down to the Dead Sea. But this water is going to be pure. It's going to heal. I don't believe this is just prophetic, um, what's the word, allegory. I believe this is actually going to happen too. I might show you some of that today. We'll see what time, how much time we have. Okay? i got to be careful. Verse 12. And by the river upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade. Here's, here comes all these trees that you'll be able to eat from. Does that make you think of anything? All these trees are going to grow. Because of this river that has began to flow out of the house. And all these trees that are going to grow, people are going to be able to eat from. Be good for food. The leaf won't fade, neither shall the fruit be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary. And the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. Thus saith the Lord God, This shall be the border whereby you shall inherit the land according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions. And you shall inherit it one as well as another concerning the which I lifted up mine hand to give it to your fathers. And this land shall fall unto you for inheritance. Now, 
you got to go listen to the first service. I don't have time to talk about the land and the inheritance again. We talked a lot about the land and the promise, and it's interesting to me that it's here, and I'm going to tell you this is why we're here today. John chapter 7. You can just turn your hand and hold it there. But we know that in this, if we would have read the six chapters before chapter 47, we know that the Lord in this vision has taken Ezekiel through the temple. He's taken him to the priest chambers. He's taken him to all the different areas throughout the temple. And so when we read here verse number 1, when it said the water came over the threshold of the house, the water, that house, by the way, in case you didn't know, that house is the temple. That house isn't a physical house like mine and yours. That house is the physical house of God, I believe ultimately will be. It's the temple. The mountain, it's a, it's a temple that's sitting on a mountain. The water's coming out of the temple. That We read it there in that last verse. Out of the sanctuary it issued forth. And so we see this temple where water's flowing out. And the healing water's flowing out of the temple. And things that are alive and moving but do not have real life, once the water that came out of the temple gets to those people, they come alive. They may have been moving, they may have been breathing, they may have thought they lived, but they did not know life until water came. Living water reached to where they were and it touched them and they became alive. Now the scripture says that you and I, Paul asked this question twice in two of his epistles. He said, what do you not know that you, your body, is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Do you know that? You are the temple. Paul said on Mars Hill, trying to appeal to those of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that had come and manifested himself. He said to them, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Jesus, being the precursor to what you and I get to live in, said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up again. And so he was examining, exampling that. And then we see Jesus saying in John chapter 7 and verse number 38, there where he's speaking, maybe we start at 36, John 7 and 36, I think. Let's try that. I told you I'm going to get in trouble because I don't know what I'm talking about. Watch this. John 7 and 36. What manner of saying is this that he said, you shall seek me and shall not find me. And where I am, thither you cannot come. Jesus is speaking about the fact that he's going to go away after his resurrection. Yeah? Okay, next verse. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38. Watch. He that believeth on me. As the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow what? Rivers of living water. I submit to you that the church is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I submit to you when he said, tear this temple down and in three days I'll raise it up again. He was speaking of his body. But when he left, he returned and put his spirit in the body. And we became on the day of Pentecost the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Truth? 
we became. And he said, here, he that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. You, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you are the temple of the living God. When he dwells in you and me, we become the place where he abides. That's the plan. He should abide in us. And out of your belly and mine should flow rivers of living water. The church in the last day should be a source of living water that flows out and heals those that think they're alive but aren't. See, on the day of Pentecost, this was not fulfilled. Because on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Now we see in one place that he speaks of these living water and says, This spake he of the Holy Ghost, right? He talks of them receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. But this doesn't say that the river will flow into you. It says it will flow out of you. Yes? Joel prophesied, and Peter declared on the day of Pentecost, Joel's prophecy, when he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, Joel in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That was the former rain. That was Pentecost. That was the former rain. Now, we don't have time. But dig in and search it out. The former rain was in the third month. Pentecost was in the third month. Jewish calendar. Third month. Pentecost. It was the beginning of the planting season. It was the beginning. And they would like a former rain because it would water the soil and get the soil ready. And they could plant and it would get this ground wet. That was Pentecost. The former rain. The beginning. The latter rain. You know, there's a statement in Scripture where the Lord said... I will cause to come the former and the latter rain together. You read that before? Or heard that before? In the first month. Now, what's interesting to me, are we got, is everybody doing okay? What's interesting to me about this is if we are meant to be the source of living water, and I believe we are, you have to, you have to see... See, we have gotten so consumed through the years with receiving the Holy Ghost. And you, you need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But we have to go beyond receiving the Holy Ghost to being an outflow of the Holy Ghost. The Lord didn't say, I will pour, in Joel's prophecy, he didn't say, I will pour in my spirit. He's already done that. He said, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. There has to be a pouring out of his spirit. And I just believe in the last day, it's going to be a pouring out of his spirit out of the church. I'm not making us to be something we're not, but I know who I am in him. I am the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are meant to be that which is a conduit for the outflow of the spirit of God. I'm going to say that again. You and I are meant to be a conduit for the outflow of the Spirit of God. You and I are meant to be a conduit for the outflow of the Spirit of God. We have been putting all that on Him. 
And it's all him. You understand, I'm not making us to be God. But we have to understand his plan is to flow out of us. We keep one. well, maybe I can get somebody there and then he'll pour into them. I realize they have to receive of his spirit. You understand what I mean? But we have to know who we are in this hour. And when we'll let the spirit of God flow out of us, there has to be a pouring out. There has to be a pouring out. There has to be a pouring out. It has to flow out of us. Now, again, we don't have time this morning. But it's interesting. I might need that again. It's interesting to me. All the events in the last week. Now, hold all that stuff we said. We're going to try by the grace of God to bring this together in a small way. And then you'll have to go study. The scripture we know. We know of the Passover. When the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, yes. Blood on the doorposts, the types and the shadows. He brought them out of Egypt, delivered them from sin. And then he took them through the Red Sea. And all of Egypt was destroyed. That which held them captive was destroyed in the Red Sea. A type and shadow of baptism coming through the water in Jesus' name. And that which held you captive that you repented of is now destroyed in the waters of baptism, the remission of sins. So we see that type. So he brought them out. We know that was a type and shadow, the Passover. We know it was a type and shadow of the coming Christ who would be the perfect lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Amen? Jesus Christ was crucified at Passover. You with me? Well, the scripture declares this to us about the adversary. It says that had the adversary known, if he'd known that this was going to happen, he would have never what? He'd have never crucified him. If the ad- but here's the thing about, I said this earlier in the first service. The adversary believes the word of God more than we do. The adversary knows the truth of the word of God. The adversary knows the prophecies of the word of God. The advers- well, the adversary knows of the prophecies of the word of God. The adversary is trying to figure out the prophecies of the word of God, so that he can destroy the word of God, which he he can't do. But the adversary always tries to be in front of the prophetic in order to destroy the work and the plan of God. It's the reason why why he told uh, or put it in the heart of Pharaoh to destroy the children, Throw throw the babies into the river, throw the babies into the river. If a Hebrew child is born and it's a boy, cast him into the Nile River. Why? Because... Pharaoh, the enemy, the adversary, Pharaoh, under the influence of the spirits of this world, Pharaoh sought to destroy the promise of a deliverer before it came. He didn't know. He didn't know who it was. Clearly, he didn't know. That's why I said every Hebrew boy, if I knew the name, if I knew which one, if I knew somehow, I would destroy him. But he couldn't, so he said, I'm going to destroy all. This is why the adversary often has mass destruction. He's trying to find the prophecy of God and bring it to an end. And so we see this through Pharaoh trying to destroy Moses. Isn't it beautiful how God works? God says, some of you, this can be revelatory for one or two of you maybe. Watch this. God tells Moses' parents, obey the law of the land. Okay, 
We'll take our boy and we'll go put him in the Nile River. Yeah, some of you are going, oh. They took their boy and they put him in the Nile River. They trusted their child into the hands of God. I think that if they would have held on to him, they did not fear the law of the land. They put their child in the Nile River. And God said, perfect, I'll take it from here. Isn't God amazing? God says, I think it's a good time to have Pharaoh's daughter go down and bathe in the Nile River. And Pharaoh goes down. Pharaoh's daughter goes down. She hears a baby crying. And she says, oh, that's one of the Hebrews' children, I'm sure. Curiosity gets the best of her. And she goes and gets it and says, Oh, surely we can preserve one little boy. And his name meant drawn out. And she drew him out of the river. That which the adversary thought would destroy him. Some of you need to get a hold of this for your life. When you put your life in the hands of God, I don't care what the adversary thinks will destroy you. The very thing that destroys evil can save the people of God. Some of you are confused right now. Let me help you. Anybody remember the story of the ark? What destroyed the people? The water. What saved the people? The water. They were saved. You say the ark saved them. Well, they floated in the water. It's just a matter of where you were when the water came. Just a matter of where you were. Moses happened to be in the little ark of bulrushes. Read it. it was, they called it an ark. And the very water that destroyed some, God said, no, not this one. And so Pharaoh's daughter takes this child, this one child, the very element that Pharaoh, her father, is trying to find and destroy. The adversary is saying, I'm going to get him. I'm just going to kill them all. But Pharaoh, I don't know if he knew or if he's like, oh, you know what? Dads can't resist their daughters. I don't know what it was. But Pharaoh let that boy live in his house and be raised in his house. The very one that God was going to use, the adversary thought, I've got this under control. I've killed so many Hebrew boys. There's no chance. Little did he know he was raising him. He was paying for his schooling. He was feeding him. He was taking care of him. He was sending him so he could learn all the ways of Egyptians so he'd be able to talk when he had to. He was doing it all. And the Lord was using the adversary to bring his purpose about. Don't think the enemy wins when your life is in the hand of God. God can take that which the adversary means for evil and he can use it for good. 
I'm not promoting sin. Don't twist the word of God. But he will take that which the adversary. So, so we see the enemy trying to be in front of the prophetic. The enemy trying to be in front of the prophetic. But it's so foolish because Satan can't outthink God. Because Satan is not from everlasting to everlasting. But he is. And so... We, we see this again. It's Herod. It's this very same spirit. The very same spirit that moved on Herod. He didn't know. He just The, the, the wise men came by and said, we, we've seen a star in the east and we've come to worship him. And Herod feels threatened in his, in his reign. And so he says, hey, when you find him, come tell me so I can go worship him. Well, they were wise. They understood. They recognized. They discerned. Oh, no, no, this isn't God. And so when they left, they went back a different way, the scripture said. But Herod's like realizing that they hadn't told him. He didn't know what to do. So what did he do? The adversary's trying to get in front of the prophetic. The adversary is trying to destroy the prophetic. Herod was just a pawn in the hand of the adversary. And so he says, I want you to go. And I heard about where they went. Every child under the age of two years, kill them. And there was great weeping. Right? Rachel this is the prophesied word of God. And so there's great weeping there. But an angel of the Lord had came and warned Joseph and said, hey, take your kid and head down to Egypt. The adversary is always trying to destroy the prophetic. Always. What's happening in the Middle East is the adversary trying to destroy the prophetic. He's trying to take the promise away that God has made. you got to go listen to the first service and you'll understand all of that through the scripture. Please, please. Now watch. You say, what does all that have to do with what you said about the temple and the water? I don't really know except this. I've been arrested this last week. Timing is everything to God. Timing is everything to God. God doesn't do anything like casually. Oh, well, you know, ah, maybe. Yeah, okay, let's go ahead. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. So I'm marked when these attacks took place a week ago. Understand me, this is not political. This is spiritual. It's not political. This is spiritual. We got to know that or else we'll get deceived by sympathizers. We need to know the spiritual root. We don't rejoice over the loss of life, you understand. But we also understand what the Word of God says. So, I, many of you may know this. But this attack came at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. The, uh, or the Feast of Booths, if you want to call it that. The Feast of Tabernacles confuses them because it's not really a feast for tabernacles like we might think of an Old Testament tabernacle or a fancy building. It's the Feast of Booths, uh, tents. And it's commemorating initially when Israel came out of Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness and lived in tents or booths. So that's the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they're celebrating that. Uh, two weeks ago, they, well, they back further, they're celebrating, and it was the end of that. There's a serious time in there because in the midst of the Feast of Tabernacles, they also have a Day of Atonement. And they have the Day of Atonement in there, and that's a very somber day. And, but then at the end, they have a day of celebration and rejoicing and dancing and these things. It's, it's a big holiday for them. 
Well, it's then that Hamas decided to attack. And so it arrested my attention. I'm like, okay, this timing, what's going on here? And I don't know what's going on fully. So I'm not trying to be some prophetic voice about all this. I just want to be very transparent and real here. I just want us considering the work of God. Now, we know the Passover. The adversary was trying to destroy the prophetic of God. And so he thought, let's get the Romans, the Jews to cry out, and the Jews will get the Romans to crucify this guy that says he's the Messiah and will stop the prophetic, not realizing they were being used to fulfill the prophetic. Yet the princes of this world had known they'd have never crucified him. But they thought, they thought, yes? And so we see the fulfillment of the Passover, the Old Testament, in Christ in the New. Well, we know 50 days later, we see the fulfillment of Pentecost in the Old Testament in the New. We know that, right? Right? Feast of Pentecost, if you go back, Feast of Weeks, whichever you want to call it, same. Feast of Pentecost. Most Jews, the, major, the largest majority of Jews believe the Feast of Pentecost is when the law was given to Moses on the mount. And when the fire came down on the mount and they received the law, well, the Lord said prophetically, the table, I'll no longer write on my law on tables of stone, I'll write it on the fleshy tables of your heart. Well, on the day of Pentecost, that's exactly what he did. He wrote the law on the fleshy tables of their heart. He was given them the law before, but now it was in them. And there were tongues of fire that sat upon them. It's quite interesting when you look at that. But I'll tell you something else about this. The Feast of Tabernacles. Let me back up. Moses' tabernacle was dedicated at Passover. Moses' tabernacle was dedicated at Passover. Solomon's temple was not. Solomon's temple was dedicated at the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was glorious. Remember all those sacrifices? Yeah. Remember the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle? Now, there's so much in here. We just don't have time. Did you know? You know, trumpets are really significant in the scripture. I'm giving you a lot to go study to show yourself approved. Did you know at Solomon's temple? Anybody know how many trumpets there were in Solomon's temple when they trumpeted? Anybody know how many people were in the gathered together on the day of Pentecost? About how many? Yeah, that's how many trumpets there were too at Solomon's temple dedication. I'm telling you, it all matters. This is my point. It all matters. Now I'm telling you what I believe. This attack that took place a week and a half ago. The adversary is trying to destroy the prophetic. But the adversary doesn't know when. And the Feast of Tabernacles, we do not yet have the fullness of it revealed in the New Testament church. And the adversary doesn't know when the fullness of it's going to be revealed.
But I promise you, the adversary is concerned about it being revealed. You want to know why? Zechariah chapter 14. I'll show you why. I know for a fact we are just scratching and touching the surface. Some of you may know a lot more about all this than we're talking about today. And please, I want to talk to you. I'm going to keep digging. But watch. Zechariah chapter 14. We should read the whole chapter, but we're not going to. Zechariah 14. Let's start at verse number Um, six. There you go. We'll finish here in Zechariah. Zechariah 14 and six. And it shall come to pass in that day. Oh, no, we should go back to verse three. I'm sorry. Watch this. Then shall the Lord go forth. I feel like we should probably read it all. I'm telling you, this is so beautiful. Go to verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished. Man, isn't those some interesting words by the prophet Zechariah? And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Verse 3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet, this is the Lord's feet, watch. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives, what's going to happen to the Mount of Olives? What's going to happen? It's going to cleave in two. It's going to split in two. The Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof. Where's it going to? Toward what? Anybody remember what we read over there in Ezekiel, which direction that water was going to flow? Okay. Same direction. It shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half toward the south, verse 5. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Ezal. Yea, you shall flee like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah, and the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. (laughs) That's us. Verse 7. And it shall come to pass in that day that the the light shall not be clear nor dark. And it shall be in that day that... Did I miss a verse? Oh, verse 7. It shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Anybody remember singing that old song? It shall be light in the evening time. The path to glory you will surely find through the waterway. It is the life today baptized in Jesus' name. Some of y'all don't know that song, it's so old. But now I want you to watch the next verse. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from 
Jerusalem. Half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea in summer and in winter. It shall be. How can it be in two seasons? How can the former rain and the latter rain, two different seasons, come and be in the first month? I'll tell you how. There is a time, I can't remember what it's called. One of them's called a civil calendar, I think, and the other one I can't remember. It's called a sacred calendar. I think it's sacred calendar and civil calendar, if I remember right, in the Hebrew, in the Jewish calendar. And there is a time where they overlap. And the last month and the first month are the same. And it would make sense that it could be in that month that the former rain and the latter rain would come together in the first month. And could it be that it's summer and winter because the same month overlaps? Verse 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. Now for time to finish. Let's fast forward here. To verse 16. And I'm finishing. Why don't you stand with me? And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations, which nations? All of which nations? It will come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. And what else are they going to do? They're going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 17. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein. And in that day, there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Now, a lot of that will make even more sense if you listen to the first service. The adversary is trying to get ahead of the prophetic. Now, Zechariah's prophecy, I firmly believe, is in the millennial reign. All right? You can debate that. We can argue that. But 
But the adversary is still trying to figure time. And so the adversary always seeks to destroy the prophetic. So what does this mean? You and I in our day have to know who we are. And we are the church. We are the temple of the living God. The water should be issuing out of our belly right now. We're not waiting for Zechariah 14. I mean, we are, but we're not waiting for that to fulfill our purpose in the earth right now. We will be the saints that will come with him in Zechariah 14 that we read about. But until then, we are the body of Christ. We are the temple in the earth. And so there should be a flowing out of our belly now, rivers of living water, until that day when he returns and stands on the top and the mountain splits in two and water flows out of the mountain. But we should be the church now. We should recognize the time. We should recognize the hour. We should realize what's taking place in our world is not just political. It is spiritual. They are battling for land because it's spiritual. You got to listen to the first service. That's the last time I'll say that, I think. But it's spiritual. And so it's important that we recognize this is not a time to be afraid. Hear me. This is not a time to be afraid if you're in the church. It's a time to do the work of the body of Christ in the earth. It's a time to tell whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will, let him come. Everything that lives and moves shall be made alive by the water. This water should be flowing out of us. There are people that need life. Would you talk to the Lord right now where you are? Let his spirit and his word quicken to us. May it provoke something in us where we begin to dig into the word and seek understanding of what he's doing. Seek understanding of what he's desiring to do. Seek understanding of our place in this hour that he would use us. That his spirit that was in, that is in us would flow out of us. His spirit that's in you and I should be flowing out of us. He said, I'll pour out my spirit. I'll pour out my spirit. I believe the spirit of God should be issuing forth from the people of God. We come in contact with hurting people. There should be living water issuing forth. We come in contact with diseased and afflicted. There should be living water issuing forth. We come in contact with a lost soul. There should be living water issuing forth. We come in contact with people that are spiritually bound. Living water should issue forth. This is the beckoning of the servant of God. Come on, let the Spirit of the Lord reach into our lives this morning. In the name of Jesus, living water, living water, flow out of your people. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, reach to him. Maybe there's a place in your life today that isn't fully alive and you need the Spirit of God to reach in. Why don't you reach right now and let the Spirit of the Lord flow right to where you are. In the name of Jesus. I pray your ministry, Father, right now.